Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 52. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seeds in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house. He brings out of his story new treasures as well as the old. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's great to be with you. Thanks, Alison, for the reading. And thanks, special thanks to Miriam 
and Amy for their wonderful leading of our worship, and I'm sure you agree. It's a um, very anointed leading of worship. Your kingdom come. Three iconic, familiar words, part of the prayer that we are studying together week by week, that Jesus taught his disciples, telling them, telling us, that we should pray to our Father in heaven, please may your kingdom come. Jesus spoke about the kingdom of heaven often. He gave many examples and illustrations of it, as we've just heard in Matthew 13, but he never defined it, perhaps because it is so multifaceted. So in this short sermon, I want to discuss what is the kingdom of heaven, and then look at three brief ways that this kingdom might come. As we've just heard, Jesus said in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a field of seeds yielding both good and bad crops. It's like yeast mixed into flour. It's like a mustard seed that grows exponentially. It's like treasure hidden in a field. It's like a pearl of great value. It's like a net full of fish. The kingdom of heaven is clearly hard to nail down, perhaps a little like trying to explain the game of cricket to an American. What is a secular kingdom? We live in the United Kingdom, so we should know. Perhaps the best definition is it's the geographical place where the rule of the Queen in Parliament runs and has supremacy. So the laws of our country are constrained by geography. Our laws may be supreme in Dover, but if you hop across the channel to Calais, they're not. French law and EU law has the supremacy there. But the kingdom of God is not a geographical place. It's a different kind of kingdom. It exists wherever a person believes in Christ and seeks to follow him. It exists in the hearts and lives of God's people. It exists, therefore, in every country on our planet and in every generation in the past 2,000 years. It's a spiritual kingdom inhabited by believers for whom the laws and values of Jesus reign supreme. There are ultimately only two kinds of kingdoms. The kingdom of God, ushered in by Jesus Christ, and the kingdom of the world. And all of us are citizens of one kingdom or the other. And they are very different. They have different values. In the kingdom of the world, the qualities most treasured might be described as power, wealth, status, and pleasure. And perhaps those of us working at Westminster encounter some of these values on a daily basis. These values flow from the theology of the kingdom of the world, namely that we are all here by random chance, an accidental cosmic event billions of years ago that set in place a train of evolutionary reactions that have resulted in the complex ecosystem and beings we see today. No external life force behind the universe, no purpose to it, no meaning other than what we put in place for ourselves, no life after death, the survival of the fittest. In the kingdom of the world, when you get up in the morning, there's no one to obey. The kingdom of God is different. It's based on a different theology, that that there is a pre-existent life force behind all of this that we call God that he created the universe and mankind for relationship with him. 
that he loves us so much that even when we continually rebelled against him, he intervened in history and came to put us back on track. And it's an upside-down kingdom. Its values are different to the kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of God, we treasure service, sacrifice, love and humility. These are the values of our kingdom because they are the values of our king, who came to earth born not in a palace, but in a manger, who entered Jerusalem not on a war horse, but on a borrowed donkey. At his death he had no possessions and was buried in a borrowed tomb, who came not to be served, but to serve, who gave up his life for us, taking the punishment we deserved. These values of love, sacrifice and service are at the heart of his kingdom. So when in the Lord's Prayer we pray, your kingdom come, we're asking him to advance his kingdom, kingdom, usher in his kingdom, expand his kingdom with all its upside-down values and laws and principles. So the kingdom of God is in our hearts. It transforms our lives. It gives us a different set of values. It's where we can find joy and fulfilment. But how might this kingdom come? Three brief points. Firstly, your kingdom come in, in my life, not just the wider world. Secondly, your kingdom come through my life to the wider world. Thirdly, your kingdom come in part now, one day perfectly. First then, your kingdom come in my life, not just the wider world. Now I used to have a graphic image in my mind whenever I heard or prayed the phrase, your kingdom come, and perhaps you do too. An image of the nation, society being impacted, overwhelmed by the values and principles of Christianity. Churches full to bursting, family life flourishing in our homes, the miserable and wretched full of joy. Children running through sunlit pastures, singing songs of worship and praise to our God. No more sickness, no more pain, no more losing to Germany on penalty shootouts. Your kingdom come, Lord. Big, strategic, nation-changing, dramatic. Your kingdom come, according to Steven Spielberg. But as I've reflected on this over the years and maybe grown up a bit, I now see things a little differently. I now see that there is a necessary prerequisite for any societal change, for any impact on our nation. For this to happen even in part, God's kingdom must first come in my heart, in my life. I'm not saying we shouldn't have a vision to impact our nation with the gospel of Christ. We should. But the starting place is not the sunny, is the, not the images of the sunny uplands of children marching with banners, but the faith, obedience and love in my heart, in my life. The starting place is me. Your kingdom come in my life, Lord. But what does that mean? It means that the values and principles of the kingdom of God, as demonstrated by Jesus Christ, his love, his patience, his humility, his service, his sacrifice, should grow and become more evident in my life. In other words, that I should gradually become more Christ-like, more patient, more faithful, more obedient to his word, less anxious, more full of joy, better able and willing to share his gospel. 
My friends, if I am not changing and maturing in my relationship with Jesus, something is wrong. And how do we become more Christ-like, embracing these kingdom values more fully? This comes as we spend time in his word, time with other Christians worshipping, as we spend time with God learning from him. There is no shortcut. If I've learned one thing in my 66 years about becoming more Christ-like, it's that there's no shortcut. If we want his kingdom to come in our lives, we have to spend time in his word and in his presence. Your kingdom come in my life, Lord. Second then, your kingdom come through my life to the wider world. Now it's wonderful to pray these iconic words, asking God to move by his sovereign power. And of course, throughout history, he's done that. Most revivals appear to be when people get serious and pray like never before. And God shows up and people come into his kingdoms, His kingdom in droves. And by all means, let's continue to pray for God to do that. But we should not pray, your kingdom come and you do it all, please, Lord. That's not primarily what this prayer is all about. Your kingdom come through me. God did not intend us to simply be reservoirs of his love, bottling up the principles of his kingdom to ourselves, self-indulgent, looking inwards, a holy huddle on the edge of society, but rather rivers, bringing his values and love to those we meet. Maybe not even rivers, but sluice gates, letting life-giving water through to bring refreshment and restoration to others. Yes, I really do want you to leave this place thinking of yourself as a sluice gate. I don't mind if it's the old Victorian engineering or a modern push-button computerized system. A sluice gate for his kingdom. To be the way that his kingdom advances into the world, having first impacted us. But what does that look like in practice? Think about how you became a Christian. Was it not through the love and kindness or words or example of somebody else? Maybe your parents, maybe someone at university or in the workplace. In my, in my case, it was through my wife. It's part and parcel of being a Christian that we should look to pass the good news onto others. Then there's the example of how of, of we, the example we must set in how we live our lives. He calls us to love him with everything we've got and to love our neighbours as ourselves. He told the famous parable of the Good Samaritan. Who is my neighbour? The person I come across in need. Acts of kindness. Let's all ask ourselves, when was the last time we I performed, you performed, an, a random act of kindness to someone you came across in need just because you were motivated by God's love. Your kingdom come means God's love impacting the world through us. His heart for justice for the poor, the excluded, the alien, demonstrated through our lives. And this is relevant especially for those of us working in the political sphere, standing up for those marginalised and downtrodden both here and in the world beyond our shores. This is relevant, but also hugely challenging. And that's why we need each other, to spur one another on. So your kingdom come in my life, your kingdom come through my life. And finally, your kingdom come in part now, one day perfectly. And it's very important to get our theology straight. The Bible makes it crystal clear 
that his kingdom will not fully come, not in our lives, not in the wider world, this side of eternity. There will be a day of reckoning, an ending to all this, just as there was once a beginning. There will one day be a new heaven and a new earth, and we will live for eternity with Jesus, no more pain, sickness or death. And that is our hope, and we can bank it, we can rely upon it. So we should not be deflated when we make mistakes or feel we have let God down in our daily walk with him now. That is how it will often be, this side of the grave. But he forgives us, and we can access a fresh start every day. And we should not be bewildered at the state of the world, because the Bible makes it clear that there will continue to be troubles, war and poverty, before Jesus comes again. It's a broken world because of the reality of the human condition. It's a broken world because of original sin. And we know that we cannot solve every problem simply, simply through better science or technology or education or investment or better laws. We cannot solve everything, but we can solve some things. The realisation that we cannot bring about paradise this side of eternity, but can make a difference to the lives of those around us, to our country in the here and now, is a critical reason why many of us are engaging in the political arena. To be a voice for the voiceless, to help establish prudent and fair governance, to act with integrity and wisdom, to bring prayer into the heart of government. Understanding our limitations without extinguishing our ambitions is a vital part of being a Christian in politics. I'm going to say that again. Understanding our limitations without extinguishing our ambitions is a vital part of being a Christian in politics as we look forward to the age to come. And so to sum up, when we pray, your kingdom come, we should have in mind the values of this unique kingdom and our remarkable king. We should pray that his kingdom will increasingly come in my life, in your life, as we become more like Jesus. That his kingdom will be advanced in the wider world as we work out these values in our lives. And that one day his kingdom will fully come. But until then, imperfect though you and I will be, imperfect though our world will be, we can and must make a difference to those around us as we obey the one and only true King. Your kingdom come. Amen.